This is week three of uh, How Much More. And then next week, we're going to begin a series um, that is on hearing God around the Christmas stories and the reality that uh, the Christmas story happened through a bunch of people who were radical enough to believe the voice of God that they heard. Um, so people that were radical enough to, 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 to hear God's voice and act upon it actually brought our Savior, was a part of bringing our Savior into the world. So I'm excited to start that series next week. But uh, first, we're going to finish up how much more, how much more. So this is week three. And um, this week, we're going to talk on a super fun topic. We're going to talk on idolatry, idols. Uh, just like, woo, <laughs> super stoked. And everyone's fired up um, for that. But actually, um, the inspo for, for really bringing this into the How Much More series came about um, out of my own personal time with the Lord. And, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to teach from the passage. I'll probably save it for a different sermon. But, but I really got stuck uh, when I was reading out of 1 Samuel and the story of how King Saul became the first king of Israel. And there's, there's a passage in there that should alarm us, should alarm us. And, and, and basically what we see is the Israelites look around to all of the other nations. Uh, they look at everyone else. And what they do is they say, hey, hey, wait a second. Everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? I want a king. We want a king like them. We want a king to rule us. Look at all of these other nations. And at this point, too, they were in a difficult season. Um, they were really um, struggling with the Philistines. And they were like, we want a king. We want a king. God, essentially, you're not cutting it. You're not cutting it. We, we, want, we want a king. And so they, the, the, the crazy thing is that God relents. And he gives them a king. It's, it's wild. He allows them to desire something that he's against. And then he gives it to them. And he says, okay, you want a king? Here you go. Here's King Saul. And Saul actually gets a lot of, um, we, we, we sort of beat him up. If you're new to church, Saul is a character. You know, not a lot of people are named Saul because people are like, oh, David, yeah. <laughs> but Saul, no, because he made a lot of mistakes. What's interesting is David made plenty of mistakes as well. But, but King Saul, what, what's so interesting is Saul actually didn't want to be king. People, I've heard the sermons talking about how Saul, uh, how dare you, Saul, for hiding in the luggage, and not accepting your anointing. No, he didn't want an anointing that no one was supposed to be having. <laughs> like, he understood, hey, I, I don't think I want to be king. I don't know if I want this title. And so he actually hid from it. But there's this thing that we see in God's people where they look at the world and they see something that they like and they go, we want our own version of it. Yeah, wow. like, like, like it's something that I've kind of been really shook over the last few years where a lot of just heroes of the Christian faith have fallen, pastors, leaders. That, 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 that Christians, we've put them up on a pedestal. Why? Because we looked at the world and we said, they have celebrities. We want them too. Let's turn pastors and leaders into celebrities and let's put them on a pedestal where they're going to fall. We're going to push them so high because we want what the world has. There's so many examples of Christians going, hey, hey, well, look, at, look at what they have. Look at their shiny things. Look at their pretty people. Look at what they have. I want, we want that. Let's, let's fit that into what we're doing. And so I actually wanted to kind of trace it back. Like, really, where, where does this start? Where did, where did, where did this begin? Where, where, where did this really, really take hold? And there's a couple passages that we could break down a little bit earlier than this, but I think the best example of this thing that creeps into God's people, and if you don't know, under the new covenant that Jesus brought, we are God's chosen people. Yeah. 
It's extended beyond the Israelites and those who accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, repent, turn away from their sins, and follow him. You now get to be a part of God's people. That's what we are. That's what this gathering is today. It's a gathering of his people. And so I, I think that it's important to go, man, what are some things that, that we fall prey to so often? And, and there's a moment actually in Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, if you don't know. And, and I think it's important to tracing some of this stuff, this, this way in which idolatry creeps into the local church, the way in which even in our own lives we begin to put things on pedestals, we begin to misappropriate the name of God, we begin to misappropriate him in some unique ways. And I think it's important that we study where it started. And we're going to read a story, and, and it's about, if, if you're new to church, you may not be familiar with it, but some of you guys would be, and it's a story where the Israelites make an idol. They make an idol out of a golden calf. They make it out of gold, and they make a golden calf. But this story begins a lot earlier, doesn't it? We're not going to go back as far. I'm not going to backfill Moses and, 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 and freeing the people, um, being used by God to bring freedom to the Israelites from the bondage and the oppression of the Egyptians. But that's what happened. They cross over the sea, and, and they're in the wilderness, and they're following God, and God brings them, our story really begins when they find themselves at the foot of a mountain. God's chosen people, they're no longer in slavery, they're now found themselves free but in the wilderness, and they're at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai. And, and, and this would really begin in chapter 19, where we don't have time to read all the verses, but in chapter 19, that's when they land at the base of the mountain. And then in Exodus chapter 20 is actually where they first hear the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Basically, God says, hey, we're going to establish a law. We're going to establish a way that this relationship is going to work, but, but, but I'm going to boil it down. I'm going to give you ten things, ten fundamentals of your faith, and, and these are going to be pillars of everything that I'm going to bring to you. And he brings the Ten Commandments, which, of course, begins with, you must not have any other God before me. You must have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to make it explicitly clear. He doesn't just leave it at, you must not have any other gods before me. But in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 5, he says, you must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth in the sea. Essentially, we're going to get back to this. He's saying, you are not to worship the created. You are to worship the creator. That, that's the distinction he's making. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He puts it pretty clear. Like, here it is. Don't worship anything that's here, that's physical, that's the, that which I created. You should not worship the created. Worship the one who created it. How much greater is the creator than the created? And so I want, I want your worship. I long for your worship. It's why I made you my, my chosen people. It's, why, it's why, why I want to draw you close consistently over and over again. God's saying, I want, I want proximity to you. I want relationship with you. I want to be close to you. And basically, what he's saying here is essentially there is no greater way to come up short of how much more than to settle for an idol in place of God. Like, like really simply put, you want to settle for less than, worship something other than God. Like, it, like, 
Anything you could possibly choose is less than. Anything you choose to give your adoration, your time, and your affection before God is less than. Because he is the creator. He's the one who made all things. And and that's something that we believe here in this church is that he made the earth. We believe in the Genesis narrative. that, That God spoke and there was so much. That at his words, the earth was created. But then I want to make a jump here. Exodus 20 happens, and then there's a bunch of chapters just breaking down all of the things that God requires of his people under the Old Testament covenant relationship. And so he's saying, hey, here's all the things that I want you to do. Here's what it is. The crazy thing is the Israelites then go, we agree. Yes. Thank you for the clarity. We're all in. But something happens. Something happens at the base of the mountain. God says, I'm going to let my glory shine. And he actually shows up in a fire. A fire so strong that it actually begins to cover the whole mountain with smoke. It's like shocking. It's scary. It's, it's loud. It's wild. And the people trembled in fear. It was like, whoa! Who's, what, what God is this? Like, this, this God is crazy. And, and Moses is the one who chooses to go all the way up to the mountain in the presence of God. And the Israelites are quaking in fear. And so Moses goes further up, and we understand he actually goes up for 40 days and 40 nights, which, yes, it's a reflection of Jesus' time in the desert. And I love how the two connect, right? Old Testament, New Testament. We always want to look for those things. Oh, why is this in here? Oh, because it's actually a prophetic um, showing of what's to come, and it's really cool stuff. We don't have time to get into it, but it's cool. So he goes up there, and then you have the Israelites. Let's paint a picture, though. Before we dive into this passage, can we humanize them for a second? Because what we do is when somebody makes a mistake, for example, King Saul, right? He's the worst. Don't name any of your kids after him, right? Garbage man. Like, like what? Why? We just do this. We, we, we don't humanize them. We don't read it through the lens of, a, of being a human. So here's the Israelites. They just got scared. They just got a pretty intense law laid down. They agreed to it, but then they were frightened. They were scared. They saw God in all of his glory, and they were freaked out. They were freaked out. Not only that, but they don't have a home. Not only that, their leaders disappeared into the storm. <laughs> it says Moses literally like disappeared into this storm. And they're like, is he, wouldn't you think, like, is he coming back? Like, I don't think I would have survived going up there. Is, is he, where is he? It's taking a while. We're lost. We're scared. This isn't what, I don't think this is what we signed up for when we said, yeah, the Ten Commandments, that sounded kind of cute and nice. Like, hey, here's a law, but this, this is wild. This is untamed. This is scary. I'm, I'm out on my own, and, and, and I don't know where God is in the midst of this. And so they start to freak out, which I can relate with. I think I would be as well. If I'm really putting myself in that scenario, the amount of things that they could be fearful for. And yet here they are. And they're in this moment, and they start to panic. And so what do they do? Well, let's read. (laughs) Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. By the way, it's interesting that they say delayed, because that's just their perception. He wasn't delayed. He was spending time with the Lord. He was doing precisely what he was supposed to. But from the human eyes, they're going, it's delayed. Because what do they mean? It's just not as fast as we want it to be. It's just not moving at the speed that we wish it was. So it's delayed. No, no, no. 
It's not delayed. Moses is being intentional. He's, he's spending time with the Lord. So when he's delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who was, again, kind of the right hand to Moses, and said to him, um, again, I said, up, up, make, us, make us gods who shall go before, go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Again, the doubt. Disappeared into a storm. Seems to be taking longer than he needs to. Let's move on, right? Let's move on. Human nature at its worst, right? He just saved him. He was just the leader who had the faith to lead him out. And how quickly they're like, yeah, we'll move on. Aaron, you're here, and who's here is better than what's over there. And so we'll just take who's physical. We'll take less than. We'll take it right now because it's available to us today. And they settle for a less than moment, and they say, Aaron. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. By the way, these earrings were actually a part of the instructions in chapters earlier to actually be a part of the building of the tabernacle. Again, misappropriating what God had designated for something else. So he said, actually, let's take this gold, let's do something different with it. We know God had a plan, but God's timing seems to be whack, so we're going to take care of it now. We're going to take it into our own hands, and we're not going to wait for him to do it. So let's bring that gold, bring that gold that God designated. No, nope, we're going to use it. We're going to use that. So, so they take these and, and uh, bring them to, to Aaron. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And received them the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. So when he saw the approval of the people, he's like, oh, I'm going to keep this going. They're applauding me. Ooh, it feels good. They like me. I'm the leader now. Yeah, I don't know where Moses is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Let's keep this going. Let's do some of those sacrifices the way that God told us to sacrifice to him. Let's sacrifice to this golden calf. Let's do this right now. And so he begins to do this, and, uh, and, and, and he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And here this is actually translated as Yahweh. What's Aaron doing? He's actually saying, hey, this golden calf, this is Yahweh. So we're going to do the very thing which he told us to do to him, but this is the Yahweh that we understand. This is the Yahweh that we learned how to worship this way in Egypt. We saw how the Egyptians did it, and their gods weren't scary and lighting mountains on fire. Their gods were more tangible and real, and they had these nice, cute little idols and these spaces where they worshiped them. So, so, so let's take that stuff that God said, and let's frame it our way. So they called it Yahweh, and they began to worship it. They began to have a feast. They began to actually uh, drink, and, and it was even says that they, there was debauchery. There was horrible things taking place. And so the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? And we're going to stop there, actually. So, so here we have this whole story. And also Moses actually starts to defend the people and try to save them even uh, to God and begin to implore him. But here's the story is they heard the commandments, and the first commandment they break is the first commandment. 
hey, hey, don't make any other gods. Don't create anything and worship it. I am Yahweh. Worship me. I am your God. I want to be your God. I want relationship. I want proximity. But the fear set in. And I want to talk today in the time that we have about the things that fuel idolatry. Because there's quite a few fuels that were taking place. Again, we look at this and we go, Psh, they're crazy. Come on, if God had just told me, I would have listened. Really, though? <laughs> like, would you have, though? Give, give, give some credit. Humanize it. Don't make it ridiculous. We do this. How often have you found yourself, right, you hear a great sermon and then you mess up in the exact way that the sermon was about that week. And you're like, well, I just heard this. What am I doing? Like, and so it's even worse when you preach the sermon and then <laughs> mess up that week. Right? But, like, we hear stuff and we learn things and then we so easily drift. And I thought that was so interesting. God said, how quickly, how quickly they have fallen away. How quickly they've drifted from me. How quickly. See, what that time felt so long to them, it felt like nothing to God. So I want to talk about just three quick fuels of idolatry. Because idolatry is a way that we are consistently going to settle for less than rather than living through how much more. The first thing is idolatry is actually fueled by distance. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, is the quote. When they saw how long, when they saw the delay, when they saw, when they were waiting for him, there was a distance between them and the presence of God. There was a distance between them and there was a delay and, and there was separation. And in that separation, they decided to start trying to figure this thing out on their own. Again, they didn't just deviate completely from the direction of God. They just made it in the way that they understood according to the world that they'd been living in. So, so their separation from God caused them to forget some of the guidelines, caused them to start to lose sight of what God was really saying. This story is a model of what happens when, when sometimes when we trust, put our trust in other people to approach God for us, and we say, hey, you go up on the mountain. The Israelites said that to Moses. They're going, no, no, it's too scary for us. You go. You go. You're our leader. So, so I, don't, I don't want that proximity. I don't need that. So I, I want there to be a bit of distance. The reality is distance from God will lead to distance from his desires for your life. You, you got to stay close. You got to stay close. You want to worship this God? You want to worship Jesus? You want to worship this? You got to stay close because that distance allows fear just to start spiking. Starts to push your faith down a little bit. Makes you start freaking out a little bit. Like, I just don't. I'm unsure about it. And then you start to look around and start to look for anything that might bring some confidence. And that's when we start to misappropriate things in the world and begin to worship them or trust them or put too much weight on them. See, distance from God is distance from his desire for you. See, I want, I want to understand what is his desire? What, what would he have me do? What, what, what does he want from me? I, I got to get close. I got to spend time. And, and honestly, you know, one thing that's kind of faded a bit in our culture is like actual consistent attendance in church. It's, it's kind of that thing and you know, there's, there's a value, and I love it. I love that we have online, and, and you can tune in, and you can watch, and you're hearing this message in your room. That's amazing. 
But it, but, but it's sort of it becomes this thing where like, yo, when it works, I'll go. When, it wor- when I need it, when I'm struggling, it's good. But like, we're busy and stuff going on and, and I just don't know. And another thing that's kind of become more shocking is when someone daily spends time with God. The more and more people, you start talking about getting close to God, and it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't read my Bible in a really long time, you know? I don't, I don't really know. I, I've been serving God for 20 years. I don't really know how to pray for someone. I don't even really know how to pray or have a conversation with God. We, we did a series on spiritual disciplines. Go back and rewatch it, things to help us figure out how to get close to God. And we're dreaming up a part two of this series that I can't wait for, Spiritual Disciplines Part Two. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do a lot of things to help you with your proximity to God. Saying, hey, I don't need a pastor to stand in the gap from between me and God. I don't have to just find someone who feels more spiritual than me to pray for me. I have access to him. I can meet him on the mountain. And sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes we approach the Bible and we read it. I, I thought Alex Anderson, our, our pastor of operations, said something so great this week. He goes, man, I think we've, we've kind of done an injustice to people when in church we always make it sound like every morning when you open your Bible, you're just going to get goosebumps and chills and you're just going to have this amazing, great time of encouragement because a lot of the Bible's not encouraging, it's challenging. Like, I actually feel most of it's more challenging than it is encouraging. And yet we make these Instagram clips of like these perfect scenarios and setups and you have everything nice and the coffee's warm and everything's perfect and the sun's shining in and my Devo time, yay! (laughs) I'm just close to Jesus and it's this amazing thing. And it's like, that is so fabricated. Because like, it's hard sometimes to read this. It's, it's a complicated book. You, know, you, you, go to, you, you go to Bible college, and you're supposed to, like, learn everything. And I'm like, all you learn at Bible college is how to start reading this Bible. I mean, like, it's like, it's like so much. We've got resources coming to help you with that and excited to share that later. But we have to figure out proximity to God. Consistently saying, hey, i got to stay close. Because when I drift from his presence, I drift from his desires for my life. I start to lose sight of things. I start to make it look the way I want it to look. I start to take control. I start to make golden calves. Because it's just taking longer than I want. So I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to make my plan. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure this out. Because where is the presence of God? Where is it? Where is this plan? When is it going to happen? Idolatry is fueled by distance. Got to have that consistent, disciplined time with God. And ultimately, an idol can't be a true idol unless it's worshipped. Right? Like, it needs to be worshipped in order to make an idol. And I actually believe that worship is one of the ways that we stay close to God. One of the proximities, not even just reading your Bible or just prayer. There's worship. But when I say worship, we always think about the corporate worship on Sundays, which let me tell you... um, it is such a vital, consistent thing to be in the presence of God together with other believers. I am a firm believer that whenever possible, this is exactly where you need to be on a Sunday morning, as consistently as possible. Because sometimes it may not be that that one Sunday changed your whole life, but I promise you consistently attending every Sunday will change your life. It will. It will. And so there's something about doing something consistency, but the reality is worship is not just singing a song. Worship 
There's multiple ways we worship. Some of the most obvious, I actually think we worship, we, we, we show what we worship through where our time goes. Time is a way that we worship things. Who gets your time? You're giving it worship because you're giving it focus. Time is a massive way that we worship something. Does God get your time? We worship, we talked about this last week, money, finances. Alex mentioned it. Hey, this is something we practice. Where our money goes, that we're worshiping those, there's a worship aspect to it. You say, hey, I'm investing in this. This is, there's trust there. Money matters. Words, we can worship things through words, the things that we say, the things that we speak. Actions can show worship. There's so many ways. So proximity, you want to draw close to God? Let's worship him through our time. Let's worship him through our money. Let's worship him through our words, our actions. Show up. Let's be a part of it. So for this first thought of idolatry being fueled by distance, I'm going to give us three applications today as well. So how does this apply to your life? This is my challenge for you to kill the idolatry that happens from distance is stay close every day. Stay close to God every day. Find a way to get close to him every single day. Something. Do something. It may not be reading six chapters of your Bible. It may not be maybe it's taking a long car ride and playing Hillsong instead of fill in the blank. I don't know what jam you're listening to right now. Um, but, 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 but you're saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spend time. I got to get close every day. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do this for you because that distance is going to cause a drift. It's going to cause a drift from understanding his desires, and you're going to start to try to figure this thing out on your own. And idolatry can begin to set in. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Well, somebody needs this verse today. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You see, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the world. I'm going to look at the created to figure out the creator. Rather than, hey, I'm going to look at the creator to understand what he created. I'm not going to divide between God and the world. No, I'm going to draw close to God, and he, in turn, will draw close to me. This is a promise. But what do we do? Well, I didn't feel him draw close to me today, so I give up. I give up. Stay consistent. Get in the presence of God. Stay close every single day, and it will fuel worshiping him over anything else. Another thing that fuels idolatry, idolatry is fueled by misplaced desires. Misplaced, and I, I, that word's very intentional, misplaced. Um, I think sometimes we actually are too quick to say that's a bad, evil, terrible desire. What, 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 often when I'll maybe counsel or mentor somebody, I, I try to get down, where did that desire, though, start? Because maybe it's turned into something toxic, but maybe the root of that desire is good. Like, like, like maybe it's run rampant and it's become unhealthy, but at the base root of that desire, like where did it begin? Like, like have you been misplacing that desire and finding toxic outlets? And, and then in turn beginning to start worshiping something that's off? You see, the, the Israelites said this. They said, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. There's a desire in there. Do you catch it? We want leadership. We're scared. We want what they have. Remember in Egypt? They had gods who led them. Remember that? They were prospering. They had a home. They had temples. They had wealth. They had money. And look at us. We're at the base of a mountain. Our leader is gone. God dropped this bomb of the Ten Commandments, and now we just feel abandoned in it. 
We need some gods who will lead us. We have a desire to be led. We have a desire to be helped. We have a desire to follow. See, they actually had the right desires. They desired to follow someone. They desired to follow God. But because he was delayed, let's find and make our own misplaced desires. You, you ever had an urgent desire? You ever had something where you're like, this needs to happen now? How about an impatient desire? You're like, come on, come on, let's go. We need this. Come on, let's happen. Let's make it happen. Desires are good. Sometimes they can become overwhelming. I remember one time when, when Renee was pregnant. Come on, she was pregnant with our first, actually. She was pregnant with Willa. And we were living in Shakopee, Minnesota at the time. And uh, one thing that is absolutely true, and, and Hollywood does not hype up, is the cravings of pregnant women. And at least with my wife, cravings were a very, very real part of pregnancy, right? Like, out of the blue, it's like, I need Berry Cap'n Crunch um, right now. Like, my desire is strong. This desire is overwhelming. This desire has become something that we have to have. And I remember one night, and, uh, and it was about 9.30 p.m., and, and it was just one of those desire moments, right? And she's like, Sam, if you love me, you will find a way to get me Leanne Chin. Like, this cannot wait. It must happen right now. If I don't have Leanne Chin, like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, right? I mean, this is like, this is for real. She's about eight, eight months pregnant, like this, and I was like, I, I, I have to be a good husband. This is one of those moments that makes or breaks a marriage. Like, I need to figure out how to get Leanne Chin, and there was not a Leanne Chin close by, and I looked it up on my maps, and the Leanne Chin was 20 minutes away and, and closed at 10 p.m., and so I had, um, by the time I actually got in my car and left, I had to burn two minutes off that time. I had to burn two minutes off that 20 minutes in order to make it on time, right? And I'm like, this is for my wife. Lord, you do not mind if I speed. I know you don't. I know you don't. The desire is so real. I need to get to Leon Chin. So I am gunning it up to the Chaska Leon Chin. I'm going up. There's these windy roads, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm flying. I'm in my Jetta, and it's a stick shift, and, and I'm driving. And, and, and I'm going to get Leon Chin. And as is usual with my stories, all of a sudden I look back, and I see some lights. And I'm like, no! You know? And I'm not scared about the ticket. I'm like, I'll pay whatever the fine. I just need to get to Leon Chin before it closes. And, uh, and this officer walks up to my window, and I roll it down, and he says the classic line of like, what's the hurry? And I literally go, my eight-month pregnant wife needs Leon Chin, and they close in five minutes. And he goes, say no more. Follow me. True story. He turns the lights on. And he escorts me to Leanne Chin. And by the grace of God, we got some bourbon chicken on time. And God came through. Woo! Right? And that officer, just he deserves a medal. We just, he needs something because he understood the plight that I was in. There was, there was a connection. There was a connection. The moment of trust. Because the desire was overwhelming. The desire was there. The desire was there. And we can have good desires, healthy, overwhelming, pushing us towards God desires, or we can have misplaced desires where all of a sudden we start to get a panicked urgency. We can start to think that it takes precedent over everything else. You see, this builds actually off of point one, this idea of idolatry is fueled by distance, because what that distance does 
is it makes us lose sight of God's desires for us, so we start to figure out our own desires. And so then that distance starts to fuel wrong desires, and so we misplace them. Again, the Israelites had the right desire. They wanted to worship a God who would lead them. They just thought because of the lack of proximity that they'd been abandoned. And how many people have left God, have left, walked away from Jesus because they felt abandoned? But how quickly do we turn away? How quickly do we say, hey, I just don't know, and, and our desires are get misplaced? You know, it's interesting. Like, look, look at what they do. Look how misplaced the desire is. Their desire is for a God that can lead them. So they make an animal their God. Not even a real animal, an image of an animal, an image of a calf. It's interesting because the real God gave them dominion over all the animals. But, but their desires that were misplaced decided to make themselves subservient to animals? You want to talk about settling for less than? God says, hey, you get to worship me, and you get to have dominion over that. And they're like, yo, where are you? So I want to be subservient to something, so I'm going to begin to worship a cow? Like, really, and a cow? That's like your pick? Not like a lion or a tiger. Right? Like something fierce. Right, my son and I, we do that all the time. We look at each other and we go, which one are you? And I'll be like, I'm a tiger. And he's like, I'm a lion. And we go, Rawr! and we like growl at each other real close, right? Like, I don't pick a cow. Like, you don't pick a cow. It's not even a cool animal. They choose a cow and they say, hey, well, we're going to worship this God. What's interesting is, too, a lot of times depictions of this is like this massive golden calf. It's rings and earrings, you guys. Like, this is not a big thing. It's not even significant in size. And they make this, and they misplace it. They misappropriate their worship. And they call this cow Yahweh. Call it Yahweh. The real God uh, gives us dominion, but they decided to be subservient. You see, dissecting the genesis of your desire is vital. Where does this come from? Where does this come from? Was it fear? Was it comparison? Was it greed? Like, like, where did this come from? Because when it comes from something toxic, we're, we're, we're getting close to building something that might become an idol in our life. But if our desires come through time spent with God, there's a level of, of our lives. We can trust that. We can trust that, hey, this is something good. This is something good, and it's a good desire, and it's put in the right place. So how, how does this apply? We need to ask the question a little more often. Why do I want this? Why do I want this now? Sometimes you have a great answer. Because I'm eight months pregnant, so I want my chicken. And it's like, great, that's a great reason to want Leon Shin tonight. And then there's other times you go, oh, wait, why do I, I don't need that. Why do I want that? Why am I desiring that? Why am I going after that? You know what, I'm just going to choose to be okay with where I'm at. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for God to show up. The last one is the band comes on up. Idolatry is fueled by disorder. O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey, these are the gods. Hey, this is what you're to worship. Hey, this is what's supposed to come first in your life. Hey, these things, the created becomes above the creator. All of a sudden, we're going to create disorder in our focus. 
And, and the reality is, I actually believe this, that most idolatry does come down to worshiping the created, not the creator. They misappropriated God's title, Yahweh, and created disorder by putting that before him. They essentially, what did they do? What did the Israelites do? They made an easier Yahweh. They made a less scary Yahweh. They made a Yahweh that they felt they could understand a little bit better. So then they could put this before him. They could put this before, not realizing that they were settling for less than. And in your life, whenever something takes precedent over God, you are living out of a place of disorder. God just asks to be first. And he goes, watch how I'll bless you if you do this. Over and over again in the Bible is opportunities, moments where God blesses people who ordered their life correctly. But we live in a place of disorder because things begin to take our focus. Things begin, and even sometimes, right? Like, what if, like, let's use an example. A lot of us will actually understand. There's moments sometimes in a marriage where you value that marriage so much that all of a sudden your spouse can take precedent over God. But that's not a bad desire. You want a healthy marriage. You want something good, but God says, hey, you're misappropriating the desire and you're creating disorder. So, so, so probably because you didn't have, you had distance from me. So you didn't check the desire and now you're living in disorder and you're worshiping covenant, but it's placing greater value on this covenant than my covenant with you. And that, that, that's an example of something substantial. That's an example of something so worthy. And maybe you're here and you've never even heard the idea that God needs to come first, even before your family. That's all Jesus was talking about where he said, hey, uh, there's going to be a separation of mothers and daughters and fathers and sons. Like there's going to be, why? Because rather than putting their family first, they're going to put me first. I require that. I, I'm jealous to be first in your life. I, I want to I I have that position in your life. You see, when God is first, and we don't create distance, we're close, then, then all of a sudden, He begins to work on our desires, and out of healthy desires, He begins to show us how to shape our lives, and show us the right place, how to order our lives. And so He takes what has been disorderly, and chaotic and he says really your primary focus is just to put me first and then out of putting me first I'm going to show you how to order these other parts of your life I'm not asking you to put me first because I don't care about the rest of your life no I'm asking you to put me first because you're actually supposed to go through the creator to understand the created that's it he goes I get it you don't I see the big picture you don't I'm above space and time and I made you, I knit you together in your mother's womb and you don't even trust me enough to put me first? Really? You're gonna put yourself subservient to a calf? Really? Like you're gonna worship that? Real? Come on! No! No! Come on, put me first! Put me first! healthy order puts God at the top. Place him first and we order our life through him. I would even go so far as to argue that you will never discover the fullness of a how much more life, the how much more lifestyle that God has for you 
without putting God truly first in all things. You will never discover the fullness of the life you can live if you don't get this part right. Why is it the first commandment? Because you won't be able to do the other ones if you miss this one. That's it. Hey, if you miss this, none of the other ones are possible. You're gonna miss it. You got to approach your life with me first and I will show you how to walk. I will show you how to live. I will show you how to love. I will show you how to build. I will show you how to grow. I will show you how to bring health. I will show you how to reach people. I will show you how to live on purpose. I will show you what to do with the desires that I put in you. This was like base level youth pastoring, right? You have a kid who's going out every night and partying. It's like, hey, the desire in you to get people together and have a great time is not bad. You're just looking at how the world does it and you're misappropriating the desire to get people together and show them the love of Jesus. You're a leader and you're misappropriating it. So all I have to do is take that drive and give it an outlet, an outlet that's derived through God. And we still do that as adults, right? We just, hey, we have this desire. I'm gonna go after this thing, I'm gonna figure it out. And God's saying, hey, it's become an idol. It's caused sin in your life, but if you would have just filtered it through me, I would have showed you the healthy, wholesome, amazing, life-giving application that I have for it. But you made an idol. Made an idol. Romans, so how does this last one apply? Very simple. Put God first in all things, not some things. Honestly, if you're in this room and you chose to come to a church on a Sunday morning, you probably have him first in some things. But is he first in all things? That's a good question. It's a great question to ask yourself this week. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 6, as we stand all across this room. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to his spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So if we look at the created, what's the flesh? The created. So if I set my mind and my focus on the created, it leads to death, promise. But if I set my mind on the spirit, if I'm fueled by the creator, then the promise is actually life and peace. Life and peace. So church, we're gonna worship for a second. We're gonna sing, worthy is your name. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? As you ask yourself the application questions this week, as you process this message and look to ordering your life accordingly, eliminating the distance, dealing with the desires in your heart. When we work on this this week, do we actually believe that His name is worthy, that He's um, worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory, all worship, all adoration, that He is good enough, that do we trust that we can put Him first in our lives? So Jesus, all across this room, we begin to lift up Your name. We begin to sing this out, that worthy is Your name. You are worthy to be praised. We want no idols to be made, Lord Jesus, from what you created. We only want to worship you, the creator, and you're going to show us, you're going to lead us, you're going to guide us on how to move through the earth, move through what you made, and you're going to show us purpose, you're going to show us life and peace, life 
and peace. Order our steps today, God. Come on, let's sing this out, church. Raise your hands all across this room.